The Tuffle Commute, Season 10, Episode 5, Disruption, in which Sean and I disrupt English language teaching and English language teaching classes. Let's get started. Hello. Hello. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a. That was a. That was a. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, well, that was. I don't know. I kind of started. I was mimicking your accent almost. I thought in my head, and it came oh, out really? all wrong. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was. was so like my British. That was my British. Yeah. But it just came out wrong. Oh, I see. So you spent one night in my company, at my actual company, and then you just want to be like me. Uh, I'm taking oh, that I see. All right. <laughs> Yes, let's get down to it. If you're joining us for the first time by accident here, you are listening to the Temple Commute um, with hosts. uh, I'm Lindsay and Sean is the other host. We're both English teachers. And in this podcast, it's um, not about language teaching, but the topic seems to come up. And it doesn't seem to be about language teaching right now. it it? It will be later. What's today's episode about, Sean? Disruption. 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 I, I tell you what, right, there you go. So if people are going, what? So let, let, let's begin with a quiz. There's always a quiz in our podcast somewhere. So what do these have in common, Lindsay? Okay. And, and, and please, uh, people listening, excuse my pronunciation here. So uh, Indigo Ag, Didi Schwang, The Wee Company, Grab, and Rent the Runway. That's <laughs> some kind of random. No idea. Uh, no idea. No idea. Okay. How about Netflix, Spotify, Airbnb, Duolingo, and arguably Uber? Okay. So whether those haven't come in the well, they're all, those are all startups, web startups that became really popular. Uh, they are all companies, big companies. And I guess because the title of our show today is disruption, can I guess that they have something to do with disrupting their respective industries? Yeah, that's supposed to be. So the first five, which I'm not going to, so Indigo Ag, which is an agricultural startup, uh, DD Shuang, which is an Asian trans, a Chinese transport company, I think. The Wee Company, which talk, which is an AI company. Grab is another transport company. And Rents the Runway, I think is obvious, is a fashion company. These are reputed to be the top five disruptive companies of, of 2019 uh but i think most people haven't heard of them so if you when people think about disruptive companies if you want to contextualize it I, we offer i well i think netflix spotify airbnb etc are um are better for people to understand what that is and people are still now going what <laughs> so disruptive yeah. what? what 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 disruption what what yeah. but um, well actually you say that but this is another episode that i blame on you uh lindsay yes. I, I know it's my idea because obviously uh now that you're one of the big influences of elt since you've done an iotelful plenary there are things that we that you said then that we're still picking up up in, in episodes here and um uh so if i go back to when you were talking about technology um it was you that put this idea in my head at some point during your ayatafel talk which you can still view online you said that 
uh, you, you were talking about education and about uh, things in education, disruption in education, and you said predictions of destructions of the old world and the rise of the new world, all because of technology. And then you, you went on to say people have claimed the death of music, the death of newspapers, the death of hotels, the death of cable TVs, the death of taxes, and then the educational link, the death of universities. Uh, and this got me thinking um, about uh, disruption and uh, language teaching. Uh, yes. With it. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to just uh, kind of like put another shine on that. I mean, I was interested in uh, in this talk. I was interested in the narratives, that, the stories that are told about about education technology and about technology in general. So someone who's been really good on this has been Audrey Waters. And she was one of the people I was drawing on a lot for my talk. And she talks a lot about this, the myth, she calls it, of disruption. Um, and she, she talks about like all cultures around the world. Um, and she claims that uh, Silicon Valley is a culture, you know, uh, uh, unto itself. And, and therefore they latch onto it. But all cultures like to have kind of a myth of the end of times where things are going to everything's going to be destroyed wiped out by a big flood or a cataclysmic event or some kind of destructive thing um which will destroy a lot of things cause a lot of pain but in the end will be all worth it because paradise awaits on the other side and i think a lot of the narrative of disruption in those things i talked about uh in terms of music newspapers hotels does kind of lean into that myth you know the whole like it'll all like yes there will be pain as airbnb slowly destroys the world of hotels yes it's painful yesterday but in the end it's going to be so awesome and the same thing you know about like self-driving cars and disrupting uh uber disrupting transport and um uh all the stuff disrupting newspapers or tv like like netflix has disrupted tv but uh, and there was a lot of short-term pain but the gain at the end is is where it we're supposedly then going to be in like a utopian type thing and in terms of like education and language teaching i think specifically in language teaching um it's the most present i've seen it has been in sort of the death of books so we've often talked about like we're always um i think the expression is poised for disruption in the world of textbooks that uh soon very soon um books are going to completely die they will be replaced by the thing that we will be all using on our tablets and while that has begun to happen in some places it it, it never quite makes it it always seems to be just on the horizon which keeps us you know in a way like if you read all the stuff it's it's we're in a state of uh constant either dread because oh my gosh are we going to be ready we're not ready for it or of like a hot anticipation like oh it's so close maybe next year we'll go full tablet and no more books maybe in two years time or i'm sure it's going to happen so that's <laughs> I what think, i was yeah i think yeah, I mean, there's, you give some good examples of that in your itf talk and i think we're all it's interesting isn't it books are uh, always dragged up and uh, obviously um we, we we both uh write stuff and the number of conversations we've had about uh, you must have had as well about are we going to do this oh my gosh i mean if i think about it like I remember uh, in 2008, um, it was the talks were beginning like, okay, we should be always thinking of digital at the same time as the book. By 2010, it was like, we should maybe be thinking of digital before the book because the book's going to be gone by 2012. Then it was, okay, 2012, projects I was working on, the book is going to be gone totally by 2014. Then it was 2016. And, and, and now in like 2019, I just finished a project where there's digital stuff, but the books are still there. And I'm just sort of thinking, I don't know if the book is going to really go away. Like we all have been saying it was for the past eight years, because it's constantly like just around the corner. But recently people have kind of stopped 
talking about that. I think it really reached like a, a huge apex when Kindle came out um, and people were all beginning to get their hands on Kindles, myself included. So you kind of could see it happening. And there was a lot, I think, of, of like hype that it would completely blow away books forever interesting like you have a kindle but it's sat on the shelf in very rare i know i know right. mine as well i have to recharge it every like yeah. two months so that i i and then and then it just goes and slowly dies down again i don't know it's funny um, isn't it um so um i'm not sure i, I just i mean we, you've given a lot of explanation but have we actually pinpointed a definition of of disruption is it is, i mean uh uh, yes, well, that's one of the problems that I didn't talk touch on in my talk or here as well, because it just seemed to be quite a big thing. A lot of people who criticize when people talk about disruption is they say there's a kind of free and easy use of the word disruption. Disruption meaning sort of just like changing and um, and destroying. But I think there's more to it than that. Do you have some stuff on this? Oh, no, I, just, I think it's interesting because uh, um, um, this change of destroying and this free and easy because there's this, this, I mean, Uber is, as I said, is often cited as a, a disruptive technology, but uh, there's a really interesting article on a, on a, a startup blog where it says, well, actually, Uber isn't a startup. It, uh, sorry, it isn't disruptive. It's just an upgrade as such. You know, it's the natural, natural ev evolution of taxis. Basically, you call a taxi by an app. And in fact, that's true. I mean, in, in Oxford, where I live, we don't have Uber but you still call your taxi by app you know yes yeah. uh, you know so. i think the, the the disruption and i don't I, I i didn't call up the the definition thing in front of me here but i think the way i understood it was a disruptive technology or disruptive thing will 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 be um first kind of won't necessarily catch on right at the beginning and it'll be looked down upon by everything else um but then slowly it forces everything else to change to be like it was so like it is so so airbnb starts off small as something and it doesn't uh, it's not necessarily threatening the hotels but then slowly it starts growing and growing until it does create that 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 wave of change and 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 then and 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 it suddenly exponentially grows i think i'm i'm, I'm all right uh, so while while you were doing your plea to at Eiffel, uh gavin Doody, who's obviously uh i think well known in elt for uh technology is uh, -huh. uh, uh was doing a talk about disruption uh, uh, um, he was he was we so um he kind of puts it more i think in an educational context so i asked him his talk is on youtube and again we'll link to it and i asked him if we could put a bit of audio from his talk into it so here's gavin introducing uh his talk it's that every day you go into the place where you teach, the school or university, and every other class is putting on their VR headsets and heading off into virtual worlds and technology experiences, the likes of which you can only dream of. Because you're in the next room doing the present perfect. <laughs> From a book. So basically, he's he's. Told, I think this fits in with what you said prior to the quote, uh, prior to playing that clip. You know, this idea of uh, it's looked down upon because obviously Gavin, in, well, the Gavin is going to talk in, about AR, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, bots, etc., and their place in education. And I think that fits true, isn't it? There's there's a lot of looking down on whether these things actually fit in education or not. Um, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm on record as try. Uh, I use uh, VR, but I'm still not quite sure what the purpose 
specific is in, in language teaching, uh, for yes, example. Yes, I mean, I think there has been, I remember when it started out, because like, often this whole idea of disruption sometimes goes hand in hand with the idea of hype, right? And disruption isn't necessarily hype. Disruption, I think disruption occurs when it actually has disrupted something so um you know sort of like oh a uh, so it's often like will disrupt or is this is poised for disruption it's going to be it's going to be changed by something but for example i think we could argue vr has not disrupted education because it just it's not not being used enough for that to kind of warrant it you know it hasn't gotten rid of universities or whatever but i remember a lot of this stuff um started when 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 people you know when the new iphone came out and um and you know how this is supposed to change everything and then you'd have like how will education use smartphones um and and we were all like happily on that hype cycle for a while like how will second life change everything how will this change everything and and now it's beginning to get if you've been around it for a while you're starting to see the pattern you know it's always something new just around the corner and then you'll that 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 will disrupt education and you get all these blog posts like five ways so so the latest was like smart wearables or the smart classroom or ai or chatbots or whatever. yeah i, I guess ai what is the one that people are concerned about now i mean it's like certainly since the rise of and if i say this it will probably switch it on the, the alexa so i yes. say it quietly so i don't switch it on next to me and, and whether we can use these these smart speakers and they because they are they're, i said their uh, heart is an ai isn't it uh it's the same with the voice things on phones uh, i guess yeah. that that's the current um hype of of uh maybe they'll disrupt ed education uh yes uh, with i mean i think that the other the other thing um is that the the the, um, the disruption also seems to uh often be cast as like a natural inevitable thing that's happening and it's really interesting that i think a lot of the narrative around disruption kind of cat uh hooks on and has attraction um to people in general because of the narrative of climate change so you can use a lot of the same kind of imagery you can use a lot of the so people are kind of like ready for that kind of discussion right but uh, in difference to climate change disruption isn't necessarily inevitable or uh, going to like take on a life of its own in the same way that climate change will will affect natural processes that then we can't change back and stuff so disruption i think is also about uh human and societal choices okay yes climate changes of course as well but the way they talk about um disruption is often with images of like tsunamis and earthquakes and rising tides and rising sea levels as if it is like a natural phenomenon but it isn't a natural phenomenon and i think um you know it, we 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 at our peril we sort of say well it's being disrupted there's nothing we can do about it you know whereas i think you know people do have a say in it in their as teachers in their classrooms we're getting really serious now. we are you know <laughs> i was just thinking about i mean it's obviously uh being a bit of an ed techie myself it's just thinking back of, of uh, things i've read and seen about it i was just, just going back i'm thinking back to duolingo which i put in that list before i think it was about two probably 2013 14 when i think the elt 
jam people stood up and said, you know, this is going to be the disruption of, 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 yeah. uh, of ELT, which in a sense it is not in the same way that we've talked, uh, here about no. VR. I mean, it is a, it, it's a disruptor and, it, and it's a massive competitor, I think, to language teachers. But um, I think also, I mean, the other thing that's interesting about so many of these disruptive things within education, uh, as another point, um, the great person writing on this is a writer called Larry Cuban. Yeah, absolutely. Talks about the regression to mean where, um, like often these new uh, quote unquote disruptive technologies kind of come along they're all like like wrapped in uh, new technology and so therefore seem quite modern but in fact the more they get adopted the more they uh, scale up the more they sort of revert to uh, an old-fashioned thing so duolingo is 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 an example like for duolingo to work at the scale that it works it's essentially the kind of stuff in language teaching that uh, for a long time communicative language teachers sort of poo-pooed which is uh, tra uh, translation gap fills context free sentences drills yeah. repetition and i think all of these things are totally important don't get me wrong I, I i do like all these things but language teaching is about more than just that so sort of saying it disrupts language teaching it's like oh so we we're going back to translation and gap filling now. Okay. Um, <laughs> same thing with the disruption of uh, Second Life, which, you know, at the beginning, there were lots of like, oh, we can do this. We can have classrooms in Second Life. By the way, if you were too young or you missed Second Life thing, it's like a, it's a virtual world. It's funny. You have to um, explain what, what Second well, Life is. Well, I guess is. it goes back to what, 2008, <laughs> yeah. 2009. Um, and, uh, and so everyone was like, this will completely change education because you can all do it virtually. But the more people, the more universities and schools started setting up in Second Life, the more you started seeing really traditional classrooms, like they would like they would create a virtual classroom of desks with, um, you know, screwed down chairs in rows with a with a teacher at the front. So it suddenly looked like that this new innovative technological thing was actually really old fashioned. Um, it is. It is. It's interesting. You go to Larry Cooper because it was a uh, teachers of machines. Uh, yes. I think is a, is a yeah. uh, almost probably a seminal work about classroom technology. And, I mean, yeah. and he's and he's written a lot about. I think he, he's always looking for why technology hasn't transformed the the classroom. And I, I say because I just I actually not long ago just finished reading the flight of a butterfly, the path of a bullet, which was his latest book. And oh, he's gone back in schools, and there's some ELT in in that, and he's gone back in. To schools and it's just basically case studies of him watching classes going well really you know and this idea that there's this kind of um default of like you said you, you got all this technology but we default to kind of traditional uses of of, of it in the classroom which is i mean yeah. which which bringing this back around to say vr is kind of where it is i mean vr is used uh, and i'll probably get shot by those that really do use it in a transformative way but for many teachers vr is simply another way of, of sharing video in the classroom you know yeah so um yeah it's 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 just more i guess immersive and that's how i would that's how i use it uh and there are things you could do that you can't do a video don't get me wrong but it is it is very interesting but i i did i did enjoy reading uh the path of the butterfly although i think if if i remember rightly the most transformative teacher he saw was a spanish language teacher so maybe huh. lang maybe language teachers are uh are um uh, you know, leading the way more than we perhaps give credit for. Uh, we are, we, because this is an area that both you and I can talk probably, uh, ad hominem on. So let's, um, let, shall I go back? Should we kind of conclude this part? Go back to what, go back to, sorry, I played the start of Gavin's talk. Shall, shall I play his conclusion? And then, sure. I think that's quite an interesting, well, and slightly depressing. Then. All right. Go for it. Um, my conclusion is that actually disruption ain't what it used to be. We've had two periods of disruption. The first one was good. And that was in the mid 
mid-2000s, and that was teachers, and it was an educational disruption. It was people exploring technologies and figuring out what to do with them. And we had some amazingly creative practice during that period. The second period of disruption referred to by Philip is an entirely financial-driven disruption, and it's going in completely the wrong direction, and it's taking the soul out of our classrooms. So we're, I think our, our, our discussion would probably always would, would say, um, probably agree with that. There's kind of, yeah. there's a wrong no, direction I think there is. going on. It certainly mirrors my, my kind of own um, growth and professional development in the world of uh, technology. So there was like this sort of, and I kind of think it mirrors a little bit like the early internet towards the later internet, you know, like uh, even like early Facebook towards later Facebook, like mm. when all these things start and that you kind of like feel that it was much more open and free until all of a sudden it's all like getting, um, you know, bought up. Uh, everything's kind of becoming very corporate. Um, there's a whole data issue and so on. Let's, Take a break, though. Yeah, let's take a break and then change the meaning of disruption, yeah? And now it's time for this week's teaching philosophy from a Facebook meme. Students don't need a perfect teacher. Students need a happy teacher who's going to make them excited to come to school and grow a love for learning. So it's interesting when when I said let's do an episode on disruption, you immediately went for the route we talked about in part one, and I said, well, there is a second part as well, and it's kind of almost overlooked now. But disruption is quite common in the classroom, isn't it? In a- yes, of course. <laughs> and I think most teachers, if they were looking at this episode in their podcast feed and saw episode disruption, they would be thinking about the second one, which is our second part of this, which is uh, disruption in classes. Yeah, like yeah, like disru- kinds disrupt- of things yeah, that are uh, that are disrupting in classes. So. So like when the teacher has lost control of the class because students are disrupting. Um, yeah, I've got some good stuff on surveys of this. Low-level disruption. Low yes. Le- I was just quite interesting. In 2014, Ofsted, um, obviously the the, uh, the British uh, inspect- uh, school inspectors, uh, said that the equivalent of 38 days of teaching is lost per year to low-level disruption in the classroom. What kind is- of examples of that? What is low- well, I, I have ideas in my head, but did they give you some yeah, examples no, so, of what? Um, I, it's quite interesting and um, because it would start where you think... Imagine uh, talking unnecessarily. The the chatting, yeah, yeah. like like learners. That yeah, is. No, yeah, not the teachers. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, shouting out without permission. Uh, okay, which, which yeah, okay, being slow to start work or follow instructions. Yes, uh, showing a lack of respect for other pupils and staff. Okay, not bringing the right equipment. Ah yes, ah uh-huh. yeah, that's even sir, more sir, more problematic. Pen, pen, sir. And um, uh, and then then you so those you think are, and then the last one is using mobile phones inappropriately. <laughs> kind of, yeah, and I mean, and, and I, I've also curiously enough written about this before as well. No, but with, really, um, with uh, <laughs> like with this with this kind of thing, I think um, like even though an individual time of this kind of thing like someone not bringing their pen or whatever or someone clicking their pen in class like one person you know when you click the pen like you click it on oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah like it does seem minor but if it's consistent and if it gets to lots of people it it does like it, it derails you and you, you have to kind of intervene and do stuff and and so on and so forth ah so, so, the, so the clicking pen is your achilles heel is it 
<laughs> well, it was one of them. Yeah, I mean, it was one of them. So, I mean, there, there are, there are. I mean, and also, I've, you know, there's lots of good books out there on dealing with these kinds of things. One called "Dealing with Difficulties," uh, but there are is other ones as well. I've got a really yes, old it, version of it. It it's is. One of the first it was books ever bought. I don't know. In, in, in this series, everything it was, and it's completely. It's a, it is actually, and I hate to say it, it's quite a good book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's dealing with difficulties, everybody. Delta Publishing. You're putting adverts into a podcast where uh, yeah, that's, that's not allowed. Um, but the, um, but the, right, but there are also there was another. How do you deal with disruption since you've written about it? Okay. Well, I mean there. There are there are there are many ways. One is to like is is setting a classroom example from the beginning, like s trying to set out from the beginning of the of your course what you expect. It's always hard to, and I think that's why more experienced teachers tend to have less problems with this because they know what to anticipate. So at the beginning of the class, at the beginning of their school year, they set out the rules, hopefully with student input. But even if it's without, you sort of let people know and not kind of let it be a slippery slope. Other things are... Um, so like that's that, that have a routine, yeah? Kind of yeah, thing, there's yeah. routines is, yeah. is very good for this. Um, I think also a, a curious one, now I, I'm of two minds of this, but there's also the one of like, the more the teacher raises their voice, the more they will continue to raise their voice. So the louder you get, the louder everyone gets. And the reverse can sometimes work that, that, that you uh, don't raise your voice too high, that you, you start lowering your voice. Um, to speak quieter, and then that can bring the volume down in the classroom. Uh, I think I'm 50-50 on that. Sometimes I've used it really well. Other times I um, I haven't. Um, there's also the idea, one, I mean, this, there's lots of things. One that I quite like in terms of, um, this I learned from my co-writer of Dealing with Difficulties, um, uh, uh, Luke, Luke Padramu. Yeah. He was really good at this. He used to tell me, he would say, you know, the, um, he would... Uh, he would teach like uh, classrooms of Greek uh, teenagers, Greek 12 year olds, and he said they would be very disruptive. But then he would call them out on their negative behavior, like, for example, you know, Stephanopoulos, uh, put down your pen, it's time to listen now, or I can see that you're, um, you know, uh, stop, stop scribbling on your book, uh, please stop that right now. But the way he would do that is he would do it just as he was turning around to write something on the board. So he would see the action before, turn around to start write something on the board, and then turn like and then half turn and say it say it like quite sharply and and continue with the continue with the lesson so you know not make a big deal of it but he said it was the eyes in the back of the head yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, kind I, of thing you know I, so um, you, i'm smart you can't see me obviously but i'm smiling because obviously i've taught in greece and i remember how misbehaved <laughs> greek kids were and i'm not sure yeah. i've said, said this, like, this um anecdote before but so i this is uh right back in the beginning of the 1990s and i was teaching a private language school and um uh, and uh, the and Greek kids are, are boisterous, and they're, they're fun. Yeah. They're boisterous. And I remember one father coming to me. He's like, "If if Costa steps out of line, feel free to hit him." Oh, like, I, I, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is is um, the better. Like you, you can also have what what I call discipline friendly activities. So you plan a lesson, especially if you're with a, a disruptive group, that you have certain things, activities on hand that. There are some activities in English language classrooms that always cause disruption, like the running dictation or any kind of like group speaking thing does become disruptive. Like it, it, it's, it's noisy and so on. Um, whereas writing activities, dictations and things like that are discipline friendly activities in the sense that they can calm down a group and so right. on. So it's often a question of like preparing your lessons. So you have a balance of those kinds of things. Um, 
I mean, there are other, there, there are many other. It's, other yeah, I'm just starting one. Um, as you're, uh, as you're giving your examples, I'm, I'm comparing it to a, um, a Guardian newspaper article, which has 10 ways to deal with low level disruption in the classroom. Yeah, I think I've seen it's that got, one. It's as kind well, of, yeah. I'm kind of testing you to see if you match the list, but you've got most of them. Yeah. Adjust the volume, which is the one about being loud. Move around is one. I don't think you said. Yes. So. That is also good. Like if you, if you're, if you're using the space, so often moving around just the teacher and you can, well, everyone can remember this themselves of you're talking with a friend, but if the teacher walks is moving around and like walks by the desk, that will sometimes quiet things down Absolutely. yeah and so yeah, um, I mean, most of them they're saying don't deviate from teaching uh, which is quite good they like yeah. there's no need to uh basically um keep on going is, is what they're saying with that and but also yeah. which i quite like be positive and share your expect uh, your expectations um, yeah. with it because obviously kids have different levels of expectation which is and i think the other is thing is is, is uh, be uh, realistic and forgiving of yourself. Like even if you do follow all these things and you do do it great, there are times where they will get the better of you. Like there are times where a class will go badly and you just, I think we need to kind of, like it's a problem if it happens all the time, but I think we need to not beat ourselves up when like the one time it does, you know, it's like I couldn't control them today or today they were just, they were just crazy out of control. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad teacher. I think there's, there's a just... lot of factors. I mean, I mean, we, we, we've seemed to have naturally put this into the environment of, of kids, I think, because adults can yeah. be disruptive as well. Adults can definitely be disruptive. And I think with adults being disruptive, also it becomes more when they have lost respect for you as a teacher. And often I think that's what, when I've seen it, it's when they think that the teacher is either not prepared or not professional enough. So it's like, if you're not going to try, I'm not going to try, you know? So I think with, with adults, I often find um, calming disruption is just being, uh, keeping on with my teaching and being more keen about what I'm like, my enthusiasm becoming contagious to them. That also works with kids, but with adults, I, I find the disruptive problems is when they've decided, okay, that, you know, uh, you're, you're not you didn't you didn't try you're, you're not trying so i'm not going to try mm -hmm. there's one thing which we um haven't mentioned yet but this comes up in a lot of literature uh that's the reward chart how do you feel about those well i think that that's something that we might have to just fight about okay bring it on And welcome to another round of Tefl Fights, in which our two competitors duke it out to decide who's right and who's wrong. So what are the Queensbury rules? Well, each fighter will have one minute to argue their case and do some serious damage to their competitor. In round two, they'll have the chance to follow up and land the knockout blow, persuading the judge, that's me, that they've managed to win. So in this bout, our brave pugilists will be sparring over this topic. Reward systems do not motivate good behaviour in students. So going first and arguing for the proposition, it's Lindsay. Seconds out, let's go. 
Okay, so I'm arguing that reward systems do not motivate good behavior in students. By reward systems, what do I mean? I mean things like sweets, gold stars, stickies, par stickers, parties, etc. Or, 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 or a chart where people get points. These are usually given in return for good behavior or good grades or whatever the teacher deems is good. In fact, rewards are a form of quid pro quo. So there are several problems with quid pro quos, as we know. First of all, uh, first problem with this that we might think they might not motivate good behavior is maintenance. This is yet another thing for the teacher to keep track of. And if you mess it up or get it wrong, this can have the reverse effect as students, especially young learners, are sensitive to injustice. Problem number two is the satiation. Once the reward system becomes normal, the effect is reduced. It's easy to start rewards. It's hard to remove them. And the effect of the reduced keeps getting more it's not so special anymore um problem number three there is a difference between learning from something and just finishing something if we have thank you lindsay so sean it's your turn now i hope you're ready uh, seconds out let's go So reward systems are one of the most effective ways of establishing a positive classroom environment. They promote good behaviour and incentivize students. So says the Times Educational Supplement. But let's not just take their word for it. Let's look at the advice of a leading ELT guru and what he gives on that topic. And I'll quote, a built-in system of rewards provides extrinsic motivation for students to behave better. The advantage of using rewards is that one kind of sanction can involve withholding or postponing them. Making motivating group rewards dependent on good behaviour will also mean that the group itself will punish misbehaviour of its members without you having to do anything. Take every opportunity to reward students for their efforts. And of course, that leading ELT guru is Lindsay Clanfield, and, and that's page 43 of the book mentioned earlier in the podcast. So he's already he's trying to argue that rewards aren't motivating, yet he clearly says they are. They're also a good system, and you, you'll see it all over the place, for bringing joy to students, boosting their self-esteem, and also encouraging getting completed homework and improved results. Thank you, Sean. And that's the end of round one. Some great fighting going on here. Okay, the fighters are taking a break, drinking some water, readjusting their gum shields, but I think it's time we get on with round two. So over to you, Lindsay. Right. So, okay, thanks very much, Sean, for using my own words against me in this debate. Um, as any scholar, uh, as any student of motivation will know that intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation are two different things. And while I stand by that they do provide extrinsic motivation and language learning, we're all about, in the end, we're about intrinsic motivation. And while those might give a short boost, a short dopamine boost to students, in the long run, they will not. And that's time up there, Lindsay. Thank you very much. Okay, Sean, it's your turn. Over to you. Ah, uh, don't listen to him. You've you've heard me say the the real words. There's only can only be one winner in this debate because I've proven that he's talking fake news. Simple as that. So that brings our TEFL fight to an end. And as you well know, listener. Civil fights are not just about the strength of arguments, but about the strength of the arguing. And I have to say, when it comes to this fight, there's only one winner. I think we all know that we witnessed an absolute murder here today. Congratulations, Sean. 
Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to claim that as a win anyway. It was a win-win because you gave me this deliberately. <laughs> you gave me this deliberately because you knew I had written that, which I had written. I'm uh, one. I still one. I stand by it. Now, listen, Two opinions are allowed to, to change, so maybe I don't stand by it. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh, where's my gold yeah, sticker? But, but, Where is my gold sticker? So thank you for joining us, and thank you to our fighters on this Tevil fight. Dear listeners, one when I came up, we came up with the idea of the fight. I said to Lindsay, "You choose which side you want to argue." Right? So <laughs> he walks into the trap. <laughs> okay. Yes, because I had now. While I do stand by that the, the reward systems and they can't do a group thing, I also believe one is able to hold two beliefs at the same time. I think I also anyway, believe the that the fight isn't about actually holding opinions; it's about <laughs> arguing aside. We've we've both argued things. We I know, and he he. I I knew as soon as I did that. As soon as I was doing the research. I suddenly had this sinking feeling. Have I written something about rewards being good in the past? And You've yeah. written two pages of it in your book. Yeah. Two whole but pages. I mean, they're still two pretty good pages. And I they do, so, yeah, I do like my To be fair, yep. I misquote, I, as, as ever, I mean, there was a little bit of misquoting going on because, I, well, not misquoting, I, I have changed the, I put the quotes together right, and, and, and edited a little bit <laughs> ah. uh, from it. Oh, so and you course, set, set me up as a straw man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but but I think it's true. I think the point here, the, the point here is, reward systems are you know one of those things that you know there are good arguments for and the good arguments against. Yeah. And I don't think anybody using a reward system should blindly walk in with and go, let's do a reward system. I think it's very important to cover the the, the points against. I, I just it. regret that I didn't get to the end of my argument where I had a lot more about quid pro quos. But uh, anyway, it's a minute goes so fast, it even does. when we speak really ridiculously quick but all right uh, anyway it was good we haven't done a fight for ages but i think and, and not that i keep score but i think that's three one was it three two <laughs> to me uh. and i think that's the end of another episode look how uh, the time flies thank you everyone for joining us where can they find us if they want more tefl commute or they want to tell a friend about it or they want to get in touch with us sean so we can be found at tefelcommute.com and there you will find the show notes for epi every episode we've done so if you want to see the links uh, of the things we referred to and talked about in this episode that's where you go you'll also find our library of previous episodes on that website and if you just want to listen to us then you can find us on itunes you can find us on spotify and all good um podcast hosting services i'll see you next time this has been sean winner sean sorry well done sean here's a little gold star for you oh thanks i've been Lindsay. <laughs> thanks everyone bye <laughs> As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. When you notice a usually disruptive student behaves well, e.g. by completing an exercise or answering a question correctly, respond by praising the student publicly. Disruptive students are usually accustomed to being caught out for being bad. Here are some examples of things you could say. That's exactly the answer I was waiting for. Excellent answer. Well done. Well done. You finished the exercise and in record time too. Did everyone hear the student? He or she had the right answer. Yes, you've got the right idea. Excellent. Please note to make sure that you do this with well-behaved students as well and in equal measure if possible. 
Disruptive students tend to get more teacher attention anyway, even if for the wrong reasons, and this can be seen as unfair by the other students. You've been listening to The TEFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast player of choice and by visiting us at tefilcommute.com. Oh my gosh, where's my gold sticker? Where is my gold sticker?